right, yes. Go dogs. All right. Hey, so this morning I want to start uh, talking about something that we're going to dive into the message in a bit, but this is something that I would say of, a, of, of literally life-saving importance. Uh, this past week uh, was Suicide Prevention Week. And I hope that you guys were watching. That literally started Sunday or Saturday all the way up to, to yesterday. And so all over America, uh, people inside and outside the church were focusing on three primary words. As they, as we were focusing on the suicide prevention, they were focusing on these three words. I want you to hear these words because these words are important. These are words you keep in your vocabulary and in your mind as you're talking with people who are struggling with severe depression, suicidal thoughts, suicidal tendencies. It was connecting. It was communicating and caring. So the idea of connecting with those that are in need, being intentional, right? Communicating with those that are struggling and then coming alongside and caring for those who were struggling. And then something happened this past Wednesday, not good, was a guy named Jared Wilson. He's a well-known pastor, a large church here in America, uh, connected. His father was Greg Laurie, if you know that name. Uh, he is a well-known pastor who had struggled with depression and struggled with suicidal thoughts. And on Wednesday, he took his own life. And it was one of those things where some of the friends that we know in common uh, are good friends with Jared. And this was overwhelming, right? This is like he's an, this is impacting and ripple effects all over the Church of America and honestly across the world because he was an advocate for those who were struggling like him. He was an advocate for those who were struggling with depression. He was an advocate fighting for those who were wrestling with suicide and suicidal thoughts. And so today I wanted to highlight that one because that's where we, this is in this week, but two, I want to highlight it because I recognize in the church so often, this is a topic we just, we don't talk about. And there's multiple reasons we don't talk about it. One is because we're afraid, hey, if we talk about it, get people who are struggling to think about it. And that's just not really an issue, right? The idea it's better to bring things into the light. Number two, people who are, who are in this place, there's a level of shame. There's a level of shame. There's a level of guilt thinking, oh, my gosh, if I just had, especially in church, if I just had more faith, if I just love Jesus more, right? It's like, oh, right. So there's idea of not measuring up. So there's this tension. There's this shame. There's this guilt. And then there's this part of saying, I just don't want to burden people with my burdens. And so they live in darkness. And they have these thoughts that are racing around and nobody knows them. And if we did, then hopefully we would do something about it. And so what I want to say today is a couple of things in this. Number one, if that is you, first and foremost, please, please hear me say we love you. There is no shame for where you are. To be honest with you, have you ever heard of the name Charles Spurgeon? Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he was a great spiritual father, struggled with suicide, excuse me, struggled with depression, severe depression his entire life. One of the most influential pastors of our age, right? Like people today in the church struggling with depression. I know I'm so many pastors I'm friends with and those who are church leaders, this is something that they're presently wrestling with. So I want you to hear me say, like, there's no shame. And so in this, what I want you to hear me say, one, is I'm asking, please, because we love you, would you reach out to someone within the next 24 hours? Let me say that again. Would you reach out to someone in the next 12 hours? Like, would you reach out to someone who you know loves you? Someone who can come alongside and support you? I'm, don't go to someone you don't trust. Go to someone that you trust, that you know who will love you. 
If you don't know someone, then please, 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 Steve at Vintage242.com. Would you email me? Steve at Vintage, church name, Steve at Vintage242.com. And I'd love to come alongside and help you, get you connected with those who can help. There are those here. You can look around the room, right? If there's, there's someone over 60 years old today, I trust them. Go to them, right? And let them love on you. And here's the deal. If someone comes to you, hear this. If someone comes to you, don't just pray for them and then bless them as they walk off. There is nothing good about just praying for someone, patting them back and then releasing them. You pray for them and say, now, can I call you in the next 12 hours? In fact, I will call you at 6 p.m. tonight to make sure you're doing okay. Can I do that? And then tomorrow I want to connect you with someone who can help you because I know I'm, I'm limited. I can love you, but I can't really help you. But I can walk you to someone who can and let us do that. If you don't want to talk to anybody that you know, you don't want to talk to any of us, here's a phone number that you can call. It's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, the phone number. Here's the deal. I don't. I want every single person in this room to take a picture of this or write it down because you need to know this right now. Write it down because someone may come to you and you want to know how to help them and you can immediately pull out your phone. You can text them this phone number you took a picture of and you can send it to them immediately and encourage them to make the phone calls. It's 1-800-273-TALK or 8255. Okay, keep that on the screen. This lifeline provides free, confidential emotional support and referrals to people in suicidal crisis or emotional distress, and they're there 24 hours, seven days a week. So if you can, find some. If you don't know someone, please call this. The second thing I want you to hear is this. Coming up uh, next weekend, next Saturday, uh, Randy Williams has put together something on next Saturday's meeting here at Vintage from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. It's for those who are going to be basically advocates to come alongside and help those who are wrestling with suicidal tendencies or thoughts or depression, right? Basically, it's suicide intervention training, 921, September 21st, here at Vintage. And I want to encourage you to come, basically, suicide intervention. So to help train you, how do I be a part of this? How do I step in and help in this moment, right? This is not just an outside of the church issue. This is absolutely 100% a humanity issue. I don't care what country you're from. If you're from Spain or you're in India, you're in the United States of America. Humanity and humanity is struggling with this at all ages. All ages. And we want to be advocates and we want to help. Okay? So with that, I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for those who are struggling. And if that is you this morning, I'm encouraging you next 12 hours to reach out to someone. So, Father, as we're in this moment, Lord, we pray that, God, you first, would you, would you be with Jared Wilson's family and every other family, God, that has suffered and is suffering because of suicide. But we recognize that just people get to such a place emotionally, Lord, it's so scary. Lord, it's so overwhelming. And I just pray for those people this morning who are in that place. I pray, Jesus, first and foremost, above all else, that in the midst of this darkness, you would show a light to say you are not alone. 
I see you where you are. I love you. I am not against you. I am for you in this moment. And I pray, Jesus, for those who are struggling, would you give them a name or at least a face right now of someone they can reach out to? And I pray for strength, Lord, because when they get into this moment, Lord, it's, it's just so hard to take that step. But I pray for your grace to take that step. And I pray, God, for a gift of discernment for each of us in this room that we would recognize those in our life, God, maybe who are struggling and we just haven't recognized it before. Would you give us discernment to see that and to reach out and to be unafraid to ask the difficult questions? So, Jesus, we love you. We pray for your movement in this. We pray for next weekend that you would bless that time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, if you don't know, we are in a study of the book of James. We're three weeks in. Uh, hopefully, for those of you who wanted to get into a small group, hopefully that you are actually now in a small group. If it's if you're like, oh, my gosh, I forgot again, we will do our best to help you get into one. Right. But the idea is super important is that our small groups really are the places we're taking what we learn and go to the next level. So I'm I'm leading this young adult. Randall, I'm leading this. Randall hasn't been there. So I've been led for the last couple of weeks. But we're going to be leading this young adult group, which is like 18 to 20 ish. Right. Whether you're in college, out of college, doesn't really matter at our house. And it's been a lot. A lot of fun, right? We've had a great time breaking out and breaking, diving into the book of James together and just seeing what God can do. And, and the idea, these are the times we take these practical steps into it. So I encourage you this morning as we dive into it to recognize it's not just a teaching. It is a lesson to be learned, right? And the primary thing we're focusing on this morning is this, and this is on the screen. Hearing and doing is the combination of of an effective spiritual life. Hearing and doing together, right, is the combination of an effective spiritual life. This is the premise that we're working off of this morning from James chapter 1, 19 through 27. If you were just to sum everything up and say, what does he really mean in all this? It's really simple. Hearing and doing, they have to be, confi- have to be combined together for each of us to have an effective spiritual life. Last week, we, we, we saw James leading us to recognize the danger of sin. I encourage you to go back and listen to that podcast or at least just read those verses, right? He's just talking about the danger of sin, the reality of temptation we face, but the alternative, the good and perfect gifts that are available for those as we resist temptation and we walk away from sin. It's just this beautiful gift thing. Listen, you're going to be wrestling with temptation, right? And I want you to, to, to not give in. If you do, it's going to affect your maturity and your faith. But what's available to you once you resist is the good and the perfect gifts of Jesus. We had a great time in small groups saying, what are the good and perfect gifts? Right. And we just kind of walk through all of that. And really what you could say is anything that is godly in your life, that's a gift from him represents the good and perfect gifts. It's the fruit of the spirit. It's the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Right? It says love and joy all the way down the line. It's all of these things. And here this, those are available. James, James is saying, this is what I want you to dive into, not be bound up in a life of sin. And then he steps in this week, says now that you've heard these things, it's imperative that you do. Now, here's the thing I want you to kind of just hear real quick. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read the Bible, like I just see it as something that's disconnected from my present reality, right? Like I read about this guy, James, 
And I think, oh, that's James, the brother of Jesus, right? He lived with Jesus for all of Jesus' life, right? He is, he is the leader of the church, a man of great influence, right? We, we think of James in this historical way, but James, to be honest with you, was a guy, was a human being just like you, who has real felt emotions and love for those that he's writing his letter to. He's a real person, is what I'm getting at. And I think it's interesting to ask the question, so, so why is he writing? Why is he writing? Like, I don't know what you, I don't write letters unless I have a purpose. I'm really bad at writing letters. I'm really bad at writing emails. I'm really bad at writing text, by the way, right? It's like, I'm just like, this is like, but if I write something, it's important. So for James, there's something going on, right? In the moment, James, James is trying to lead the church from a distance. Think about it for him. No longer is the church altogether in one place, right? No longer is the church altogether in one place. No longer is he able to gather every, everybody together in person, face to face, with the whole of the church and to teach and to correct and to challenge. Now, now James has to influence the whole of the church who's been dispersed. He can't text them. He can't Snapchat him. He can't direct message him. Right? He can't call him. He can't FaceTime. He can't Skype. Right? He can't. He can't like WhatsApp him. Like he literally, he literally in the moment has to write a letter trying to impact thousands of people all at one time. And he's doing it because he loves them. He says in a second, he says, my beloved brothers in a second, right? It's a beautiful, beautiful verse, right? And in this, I couldn't help. I asked the Lord, like, what is, what is something for us that's similar? And this is kind of this, it's an analogy that I felt like he gave me. It's not perfect. I know all analogies are imperfect. But what I felt like he said, it's like this. I couldn't help but compare his experience to parents who were sending their children off to college, the armed forces, to the mission field, just sending them off, kind of releasing them from the nest to go do life, right? Because in this moment, just like James, he has invested, we've invested into them, they've seen and heard our teaching. Now on their own, we ask the question, how will they respond? Like, do you remember that when you left home and you had all this stuff from your family? Do you remember when you sent your kids off and you're like, I'll raise them right. Let's see what happens. <laughs> right. It's like, what are they going to do? And James is doing the same thing. He's like, listen, he's like, he says, we had you all together, but now I've had to send you off. And that's hard. And I'm hearing back reports from different people about some of these things. So my message is to remind you of what you who you are and what you've heard so that you then can act in a way that's befitting to what it means to be a follower of Jesus and be part of our family. They have heard. Now, will they do? And so, only reason I bring that is this. Can you just do your best to make this personal? Like, to feel James's weight, to feel James's pressure in this, in a, in a holy right way, as parents do for their children, right? Oh, I have... We've, we've shared everything, right? We've, we've, we've talked to them about the gospel. We've talked to them about the, the word of God. Like, I want you now to do the things we've taught you to do. So we pick that up in James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. You can follow along on the screen. It says this. Know this. 
Know this. It's like a, it's a command. You need to know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You could press pause right there and go, that's super true, right? Men, men, anger does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Verse 22. But the doers of the word, excuse me, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he or she is like a man or woman who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at him or herself, goes away, and at once forgets what they look like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he or she will be blessed in their doing. If anyone thinks he is, he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and to visit widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So again, like, don't overread James. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Those people who, like, they get so deep into, like, the Greek, all this kind of stuff, that they actually actually don't read what James is saying. James is like, let me be super direct and to the point. I'm going to be super practical. So I want you to read it and read what it says and know that's what it means, okay? And so he comes in, and there are three things he gets at here this morning we're going to look at. Number one, he's saying be hearers of the word. Number two, be then doers of the word. And then number three, you'll see specific practices that he expects of the faithful. Okay? So be hearers, be doers, and then here's some specific examples that I want for all of you to recognize are true in your hearing and in your doing. So first, verses 19 through 21, be hearers of the word. I love this because verse 19, James begins with what I call life advice. Life advice, right? In verse 19, he tells them, hey, he tells them, Beloved brothers and sisters, those whom he loves, you see the affection here, he says, I want you to be quick to listen, I want you to be slow to speak, and I want you to be slow to anger. The idea is this in relationship, and the idea is you cannot conquer sin, you can't grow in your relationship with Jesus, let alone anyone else in the world, unless you have first removed the distractions that keep you from hearing his voice. So he comes in and says, listen, in the context of your relationship with the word of God. So I want you to think the Bible, he meant Old Testament, but we know we mean Old Testament and New Testament. We also mean because we are in relationship with Jesus. And when we pray, he, we listen and he speaks. He says, I want you to be those who are relating to God, relating to the word. And I want you to hear what he has to say. And to do that, it's super practical. You have to be quick to listen. You have to be slow to speak and slow to anger because that keeps like a wall that keeps you from hearing, right? So in the context of our relationship with Jesus, with the word of God, right, we have to be listening. But in this, and I want you to hear this, there's a huge difference between listening and then actually hearing. There's a huge difference between actually listening and actually hearing. I can talk, listen, I can listen to someone all talk all day and not actually hear them. Right? 
So, for example, how many of you, see a show of hands, just heard what I said for the first time in the last 15 minutes? I'm just kidding. Raise your hand, right? Because that's what happens all the time when people preach. You just kind of shoot, spaced out over here, and you're, and you're listening, but you're not actually hearing, right? My grandfather was the king at this. And so when I was a kid, I would go up to his house, there at my grandma and grandpa's house, and we would be hanging out, doing life. And all but at noon, my grandfather would come home from Pat Craft Carpet Company every day, and he would come down the driveway. He'd come down the driveway, and she would hear him. She'd walk into the kitchen and begin making his lunch, because he'd come home every day for lunch. And so he'd come in, and he'd drive all the way into the carport. Carport was here, and there was steps with a door, steps that came up to a door. They came into the kitchen where my grandmother and myself were. I was super excited to see him. Right. And so he he opens the door and gives some sort of greeting to my grandmother. And then my grandmother proceeds to talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. Right. If you talk to anybody in Dalton, Georgia, who knew Catherine Sapp, they would all say, oh, my gosh, she is a talker. Like, yes, and an amen. Right. My grandfather was not a talker. He was a listener. Right. And so he would come in the door, give greeting. She would just start talking and he would leave the room. Right. He would literally leave the room, go all the way back to his bedroom, go to the bathroom and he would do the he would do the courteous thing every five or ten seconds. Mm hmm. Really? Right. You. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Whatever it was. Right. And he knew and we knew he wasn't listening or paying attention, but he was just doing his thing because the idea is this. He knew and we talked about it. She needed to talk. More than she needed him to hear her. It was just one of those things. Talkers got to talk, right? Talkers got to talk because she wasn't talking. And he wasn't paying attention to a single thing that she was saying. It was no big deal because she just needed, like, I guess I wasn't good enough to talk at, but she was like, right? She just started talking. And the idea is this. That might have worked for them, but we all know. That does not work in the context of any other relationship we're in, specifically our relationship with God and specifically in the context of our relationship with the word of God. It isn't enough just to read it. It isn't enough just to listen to it be spoken about on Sunday. It's not enough to be able to explain it and what it means. It doesn't mean we must hear it for James says it saves our soul. And you know what it means to hear something versus listen. Like have you ever been listening to someone talk and then they say something and it's so deep and it's so rich. It's like it goes to the core of who you are and impacts you on the inside. And that's what he's saying. This is the relationship we have with Jesus, listening to his voice and specifically relating to the word of God. I don't just learn it for learning's sake. I learn it so that it impacts the very core of who I am as a human being, which then causes the response. The other side of this is hearing, like literally hearing. It represents humility. It represents humility. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. To be honest with you, this is a true, this is a true statement. In the context of every conversation I have with a human being, I don't care if it's one-on-one, I don't care if it's in a counseling session, I don't care if it's in a group of people, I literally tell myself in some form or fashion, every single time I sit down with a person, Steve, be quick to listen, be slow to speak, and slow to anger. Be quick to listen. I, by nature, am not a great listener, but I have conditioned myself over the years to be quick to do it. Why? 
Because in being a listener, what happens? I actually hear people. I humble myself and say I care more about hearing than I do about speaking. And you all know we live in a culture that would much rather be heard than listen. I mean, have you just go watch Facebook during the upcoming political season, right? Does anybody actually listen to their counterparts on Facebook or they just want an outlet where they can make themselves heard? I'll be honest with you. There's a lot of non-Jesus happening in relationships on Facebook in the political season. If you can't listen to your opponent well enough to actually be able to grasp why they believe what they believe and why they stand where they stand and honor at least their position, well, you don't have to agree with it, but you have to at least understand it, then you have not been quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So in the context of relationship, we honor our relationship with others, our relationship with Jesus by humbling ourselves. Because when I listen to hear, it's me putting myself in a posture of receiving rather than have to give. Receiving from people, listening to them, engaging in conversation rather than having to make myself be heard. We must not only be listeners of God's word, we must be hearers, practicing this, right? Practicing, listening, and hearing. And then once we hear, the next step is simple. How do we know we've actually heard? Well, James would say, then we respond by doing. That's what he's saying here. So the second part, be doers of the word, verses 22 to 25. How do we really, how do we, how do we know we've really heard someone? Like, how do we really know that our children have heard us? They do what we say. There's, I love my kids, I really do, but as a parent, there's nothing that annoys me more when I've just finished this long thing and I'm speaking to my kids and they go, wait, wait, what did you say? Right? Right? That never happens in our home, right? Never. Like, no. Well, this idea of like, I, I go say, hey, I need to talk to you real quick, right? And, and they're doing their own thing and they're like focused, like, no, no, you have to listen. James is having this moment with his people, right? He's confronting this practical reality in the life of those he is leading. There are people who have heard, listen, these people, literally a bunch of them, have heard the teaching of Jesus in person. It's the, time of, it's the same, same lifespan of, of James, right? They've literally, most of them have heard the teaching of the apostles in person. They know the tone of James' voice, right? They have read the Old Testament in depth. These people all knew the Old Testament better than all of us in this room. They could quote whole sections of it just from memory. They had the word of God, right? Yet their lives, according to James here, they're not in keeping with the teaching that they have received. You get it. James has sent his people off. We send our students out to the real world and we hope and pray something like this. God. Remind them of everything they've heard from us. Convict them every, of everything they know to be true and help them do the things they know they should be doing. We don't expect perfection, but we sure are hoping for forward momentum with our children. And James is hoping and expecting the same thing from the followers of Jesus. I don't think perfection, but there's forward momentum that you are listening. And you're not always going to do what you should be doing, but that you by nature, for the most part, you're listening, hearing, and then doing. He's just naming this reality of being those who know the truth and then who do the truth. 
For James, again, it's not just enough to know something, and it's not just enough to believe something. Like, honestly, I wish this phrase, easy believism, I wish that was a real thing. I wish I could just say, I prayed a prayer when I was six years old, but my life has never had anything else that looks like fruit of what I said I believed and still be a Christian. Eh, that'd be really debatable. Really debatable. I'm not here to judge. Only God can do that. But it's really debatable. If you have a fruit tree, it bears fruit, right? If you have a saved tree, it has fruit in keeping with salvation. If it doesn't, then is there real salvation? Easy believism says, yeah. And I look at it and go, according to James, eh, not so much. He gives the foolishness of this thinking. He says, hey, this person is like one who looks at him or herself intently in a mirror. And as soon as they walk away, forget what they look like. And James ends the thought this way. The only way a person receives the blessings that come from obedience is through what they do in response to what they hear. Blessings come in what we do in response to what we say we believe. So super practical. We say we believe. Great. Then it'll be marked by what we do. And then blessing occurs. And then James comes down and really practicals. All right. Let's just, there are thousands of things, practical things and specifics that I could give you of things you need to be doing. Okay. Like if you ever read the, the Ten Commandments, do you recognize actually there's like, th- like a, over a thousand commands actually in the Ten Commandments? You put it all together. He says, let me just give you three. These are all things you've heard. These are things that are true for all of the church, both here in Jerusalem. You've heard it from Jesus. You've heard it from the apostles. You see it in the Old Testament. You, you say you believe this. I know that you've listened. Now maybe you've heard. So here are three things you absolutely must. Must be doing your your faith in action must be doing these things. The first one is you must have right speech like your things coming from your mouth. Right. You have to have care for the needy. We're going to look at that in a second. And you have to avoid the world's pollution. Hear that again. Hey, these three things. And here's the point. This is not just a message, right, for literally those who are living outside of Jerusalem in that day. It is eternal in nature and applies to us today. So that means me. It applies to Stephen Paul Hambrick right now. This word is true for me, and I believe it is true for all of us. He comes and says, number one, hey, you have to have right. So you've heard truth. Now, in doing, you need to have right speech, right? As in, like, what's coming out of your mouth builds up. I grew up with the phrase this, don't drink, don't cuss, don't chew, and don't go with girls who do. Right? Don't drink, don't cuss, don't chew, and don't go with girls who do. And I grew up thinking that cussing was, like, the worst thing in the history of the world. Like, if you ever cuss, the cuss would ever come out of your mouth. Like, you're not a Christian, right? I'm not here, I'm not, I'm not here saying, cussing's great. Well, I'm getting it. Like, I grew up thinking that... These words and right speech were evolved to specifically to that one piece, but that's not what that's not what James is talking about. What James is ultimately talking about are the things that we do with our mouth to tear people down rather than build up, like slander, gossip, lying. Things that we do to tear others down. And why do we tear others down? Usually because we're nervous and afraid of them and we want to build ourselves up and make ourselves look great. He's talking about with your words, you tear down and I need you 
to do, build up with your words. So a pro, like this number one thing he names, isn't that crazy? He's coming and literally saying, your words have power. We're going to look at this in the upcoming weeks. He says, like, your, your tongue is like the rudder on a massive ship, right? It's like a small spark that can create a massive wildfire, right? Like the tongue, the things that come out of our mouth, they are important. Do you ever think about it? And here's my question, like the question you need to ask yourself. This is really important. I wonder what people would say about my speech. I mean, are you bold enough to ask your spouse? Are you even more bold? Would you ask your children what they think? Do your words build up? Do your words tear down? When you're around people who are talking about other people, do you find yourself jumping into the gossip train, right, and talking negatively about them by nature? Do people around you think you were one who's encouraging, hope-filled, and loving, or negative, complaining, and just not that helpful? Do people want to be around you because when you speak, it's like the words of life come flowing out of you? Are you quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger in all of your relationships with your children, with your spouse, with your parents, with your people that you work with? Like James is coming and saying, like, it's great. It's great that you heard the truth. It's great that you know and can tell your children what they're supposed to be doing with their mouth. But are you actually doing it yourself? Is it being expressed in your life as an action of doing? And let me just go back and read because I think, again, this the word just speaks for itself. If anyone thinks he or she is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this is really difficult, but this person's religion is worthless. Like, there's no way to Greek your way around that. He just he said what he meant. Super practical. He goes on and says, hey, now I want you, now, now that you're watching your tongue, I want you to care for the needy. For James, the orphan and the widow represent the most needy and vulnerable in the culture in which they live, right? They represent the most vulnerable in their culture. For James, it's not enough to talk about helping. It's not enough for in our culture just posting some beautiful quote of support on social media, right? In the upcoming verses, James will teach us that just praying for someone in their difficulty in and of itself is not enough either. It's this word, epis, I, I, I practice this at home. It's a Greek word, episkepistai, episkepistai. Everybody say that, episkepistai, episkepistai, right? It's a great Greek word. I'm going Greek on you. Here we go. So in this moment, he comes in and says, hey, Christians whose lives will be marked by love. You're here to in action. That Greek word, episkepistai, it literally means to visit and to be with a person in need. Do you know where else this is used? Only used one other time. Matthew 25 in the store of the sheep and goats. When did we see you hungry and give you food? 
when did we see you in prison and visit you? And Jesus said, when you did it, when you actively loved, when you did it to the one of the least of these, you did it unto me. It specifically speaks to sacrificially giving of your time, giving of your money, giving of your energy, and giving of your resource to someone outside of your family who is in need. And that goes, oh, it means sitting on the floor like Jeannie Thon on a Saturday night when great football games are happening, right? When she could be in her kayak on the river, just going down and paddling by herself, which is her passion. She says, no, no, no. There are children here that I want to go love. So I sacrifice, invest my time into it because, oh, I just love them. And, she, and God will say, well done. And she'd go, what did I do? He said, you sat on the floor with the ball with kids and you loved on them. Let me ask you this question. I'm going to give you one month. In the last month, can you think of someone outside of your immediate family who's vulnerable, at risk, and in need, and you gave of your time, your energy, your money with time, and resources to them? That's what James is getting at. He's like, it's not one thing to be a hearer. It's not just good enough to go to a church that loves on foster kids. It's like, yeah, foster kids, right? It's not enough just to say that. It's that like you have to give time to it. Like, hear this. I recognize when I'm saying this, this is really hard. It is. I get it. I know how, like, I've got two kids in sports who are really good at what they do, and we're giving all sorts of time and energy to it, right? I've got people that I'm ministering to and people I'm relating with, and I'm trying to get out and do stuff and be a husband. Like, I get all of that. I mean, my time and energy is no different than all of yours, right? I get it super hard. But James is coming and saying, but we have to be careful. It's not okay just to listen and hear there has to be a doing, epischepistai, where we're actually taking our time and energy and investing it into people who are most vulnerable. Please do not let the little district attorney of your mind hop up on your shoulders and say, yeah, but he doesn't understand. Don't. You have to wrestle with this. You have to let the Word of God... If to do that means you weren't really listening, because the scripture says be quick to listen. And you're slow to let anything in your mind speak except for the voice of Jesus. And don't get angry with me. Be slow to anger towards Steve is what it says. Right? Don't kill the messenger. No, it's here. And then he comes in, and guys, this is a super practical the last one. Avoid the world's pollution. Avoid the world's pollution. Another way of saying it, what in the world do you give our what do you, what in the world do you give yourself to that keeps you from God's best in your life? What do you give yourself to in life that keeps you from God's best in your life? Let me say it like what we watch, who we hang out with, how we spend our time, literally all of that matters. It really does. That to quantify this, what is the list of things? that you're afraid of your children falling into when they go into the real world by themselves. If you don't have kids, 
Anna, Catherine, and Sarah, they're my kids, so you go all kind of adopt them as your kids. They love that sometimes, right? It's like, when they go, she's like, no, I don't like that. If my kids go off to college, do you have a list of things you don't want my kids to fall into and be polluted from by the world? You know you do. Imagine James in the same way speaking this word over his people. Guys, I see you going off, and I see what's going on in the world, and I'm just telling you, don't be polluted. Don't let anything keep you from the life that God has for you in Christ, right? Here's the thing. Just because you are an adult doesn't mean you can't be polluted. We think about our kids all day long, but James is coming and saying, hey, as an adult, you can be just as polluted as anyone else, right? But instead, it could just mean this moment, right? Where maybe we're just not likely to listen to someone correct us because we're just too old to be told what to do. We expect our children to listen to us. But do we, as the children of God, open ourselves up to listen in the same way we want our children to listen to us? What's your expectation of your children? How do you think your, 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 your brother and sister should be parenting their kids? What do you, expectation do you think they should have of their kids? Because they're just bad kids. What do you think the expectation should be? That they should listen and obey? There's no different for us. Of Heavenly Father. And James is just coming and saying, listen, it is super important. You're quick to listen. You hear the word of God. And then you are doers and hear us some things that I just want you to recognize is true for all of Christendom, for all of the church throughout eternity to come into this moment, right? And I want them just practically, I want them their, their mouths to build up and not to tear down. I want them to care with their actions, with their life and their time, to care for the most needy and the most vulnerable. And I want you to avoid the world's pollution because when you let yourself be polluted by the world, what happens? You get poisoned, and when someone's poisoned, they can't live the life that God has for them in Christ. Do you see the affection of James? He's not saying it is some distant, like, hierarchy saying, you better or else. No, saying, my beloved, whom I love with great passion, I'm so broken that you're not here with me, so I feel compelled just with a great love and affection to share this word. Listen, listen and hear. And then once you hear, do, and here are some practical things for you to do. Watch your tongue and build up. Don't tear down. Care for the most vulnerable. And again, don't be polluted because it poisons you and you can't live the life that I know God's called you to live. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great love and your great affection. Lord, the, the heartbeat of James was not anger, it was not judgment, and it was not performance. Like, James wouldn't have loved the church, people in the church anymore because they were doing. He loved them unconditionally, just in the same way as you love us unconditionally. This is not about performance. This is about us being 
as your children who you've called us to be, to be Christ-like. Father God, there's, you said a great command is to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbors, you love yourself. There is no command apart from doing. It's active. And I pray, Jesus, this morning that you would move us just from having a mental knowledge of the right to an, a life of activity, of doing the right. And I just pray for each person here this morning, Lord, that you would speak into their hearts what they hear you saying and what they hear you calling them to do. We love you, Jesus. So I've named these things this morning, but my question is simply this. Like, do you know what you're hearing from the Lord? Right? Like, I, I could go down a list. I've got a list probably about, about this long in my phone of just things that God's been speaking to me in this season. Right? They're, I call them prophetic words, things that God's speaking as I listen to him. He speaks into my life because he cares about me and wants to lead God and direct me. And they're just things I hear. And I'm like, okay, God, these are the things you're calling me to do. So I want to do them. So I wonder, on top of these three things that I've named, are there other things you've heard God calling you to in this season? Is it serving in children's ministry? Is it doing something with foster care? Is it taking a meal to your neighbor who is in need, this widow over here? Is it literally coming up and serving someone you saw on the side of the street? Is it giving someone money? Is it coming alongside and sitting down with something and having a meal? I mean, I don't know what it looks like for you. Is it literally talking to that neighbor you haven't talked to in a while and just loving on them because they lost their spouse? Like, what is it for you? I don't know. But I'm hoping that this morning you're sitting here going, yes, Jesus, there are these things that I've heard from you. And I thank you that you've given me your spirit that empowers me to do the things you've called me to do. And I want to invite you to respond to the Lord that way this morning. We have offering baskets here this morning just for our tithes and offerings and as an act of worship. We have communion available every week so we remember the sacrifice of Jesus, that it was then and it's for now. His power's been through us because of his cross and resurrection. Have ministry teams available on both sides. They just want to pray for you about anything going on in your life, literally anything. If you want help to take these steps, if you need conviction, if you're struggling today just with your mind, God, we just want to pray. Whatever it is, I'm going to pray for breakthrough. So you respond as the Lord leads this morning. I'm going to step down for a few minutes as Aaron leads us. In about five minutes, I'll come back up and I will pray us out. At that time, you'll be released. But this time, respond as the Lord leads.